This series is called Kingdom Community, and really the idea behind that, if you are new maybe and just joining us for the first time, is that God has a vision for our relationships. That God has a vision for your friendships, he has a vision for your marriage, he has a a vision for your family, he has a vision for um, your kids and and your co-workers, all the different relationships, all the different community that we have, God has a vision for it. And he desires for us to experience his vision. What would it look like with Jesus as king in all of our relationships? How would that change things for the better? And so that's really what we have been looking at in going through various aspects of God's vision for us. And, and listen, we can desire this. We can want this. We can hear even sermons or read the Bible or even just see this sweet graphic and say, yeah, I want that. I want a kingdom community. But if we're honest, it's really hard. If we're honest, our relationships are often very difficult. If we're honest, our relationships, whether that's your marriage or your family or friendships or your parents or uh, however it works out, oftentimes the reality in our relationships or what often most marks them even is pain. It's difficulty. I want you to think about the most recent conflict that you had in your relationships. That might not be very hard. Maybe it was on the drive over here. Maybe it ha- is happening during, happened during the prayer. I don't know. Like the most recent, maybe you've got the screen muted if you're at home and you're like, you know, you're, you're already in a conflict in the middle of it. Sorry if that was prophetic, but stop right now and listen. The most recent conflict, whether it was at home or work or with your friends or with your kids, and we think about, yeah, we want this, this beautiful idea in our relationships, but oftentimes there is conflict, and sometimes conflict is loud. Some of you are loud conflictors, and some of us are quiet conflictors, but there's still conflict, and we hate it, but it happens often. And when we think about God's vision for our relationships and we think about a kingdom community, what I want you to hear today and what we're going to talk about today is it won't, you're not going to be able to eradicate conflict from your life. You're not going to be able to eradicate sin and hurt in relationships in your life. But what if we knew how to deal with it better? What if we had greater resources for when the inevitable conflict does happen and the inevitable hurt and sin and pain in relationships does happen? What if we had better resources to deal with it and could experience more peace and could experience a deeper health and that those conflicts could even lead us to strengthen our relationships, that we could resolve them quicker? If we had, that would be great. If we had God's vision and we could handle conflict and and have it less and have greater peace, if we could do that, it would be great. And yet, oftentimes, and you know this, oftentimes in our relationships we avoid conflict because we just sometimes we just don't really know what to do with it. Sometimes um, we we engage in it, but it always ends really badly. And a lot of times, what that does is it, it starts to create. Uh, a bitterness or maybe in just an, a general irritability with the people around you. Uh, sometimes what it does is cause us to actually leave relationships and say, I'm just, I'm just done. I can't even do that anymore. I'm not even going to go there anymore. Or maybe we keep them, but we just kind of commit to a level of shallowness because it's, it's not really working well when we engage in deeper relationships. Or maybe we just settle. Maybe for some of you, that's what it's been. You just say, this is just how it's going to be. 
My relationships are just going to be filled with hurt and pain and bitterness and, and irritability, but this is just as good as it gets. But there is a better vision that God has for us in how to deal with conflict. And, and really the word that we're going to look at today is forgiveness. We're going to look at a, and, not, and I know we can have kind of a vision in our mind of what forgiveness means, but I want us to think even holistically about forgiveness and the things that Jesus is going to tell us today about a pervasive forgiveness that will affect even the beginning of conflict and the end of conflict. And, and it will help us, what Jesus says, it will help us to see why forgiveness can be so difficult, even if we don't think that it actually is. It will help us to see how to do forgiveness and how we get the power for forgiveness because that, a pervasive kind of attitude and holistic forgiveness is what will help our relationships not just avoid all conflict, but actually know how to deal with it when it does come and how to have greater peace when it does come and how to experience greater health in all the different relationships that we have. So let's explore together what Jesus says about this, and then we'll kind of walk through different aspects of forgiveness. Here's how it opens. Luke 17, he said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. When he says little ones, sometimes we think kids, but he's just talking about his disciples there. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. The first thing I want us to look at and explore is really just the pain of forgiveness or why forgiveness is difficult. And there's several things that Jesus says in here of why forgiveness is so hard for us. And listen, even if you are coming in here thinking forgiveness isn't that hard, I'm a very forgiving person. You might see as we explore this that it's harder than we think and that the pervasive forgiveness that Jesus is calling for is harder than we think. And here's several reasons he gives. The first is this, offenses will certainly come. The first reason that forgiveness is difficult is because it's going to happen. Things are going to happen against you. Offenses will certainly come. That's not the encouraging word that maybe people wanted to hear from Jesus. Jesus, maybe things will happen. Nope. Offenses will certainly come. That makes it hard. Because he is saying this is the course of life. People are going to do things that get you off track. People are going to do things that push your buttons. It's go- offenses will certainly come. People are going to do things that aggravate you. They're going to do things and you end up losing your patience. They're going to do things and you end up getting frustrated and angry. They're going to do things and and you want to leave and say, man, I can't deal with that anymore. Offenses will certainly come. Have you ever had a day and and, and maybe you're having some interaction and someone says, what? It seems like, what what is, you know, you're having a conflict and it just gets out of hand and someone says like, what, are you having a hard day or like, did you, and you say, "I, I was having the best day of my life until you did this until your offenses certainly came against me, it was a great day. And Jesus is saying, it's going to happen. 
You're, it's going to happen in your marriage. It's going to happen with your kids. It's going to happen at your job. It's going to happen wherever you are. Offenses will certainly come. That makes it difficult. It's unavoidable. It's, it makes forgiveness difficult because you can't create this safe bubble for yourself where you never get hurt, where you never get offended, where people never sin against you, where people never do things that causes you to, in retaliation, sin. You cannot build that kind of bubble. It's unavoidable. And so the first part of why forgiveness is difficult is offenses will certainly come. The second part is this. Jesus says that it would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That might sound a little extreme. If somebody is offending you and you start getting a rope tied up you know, around a giant rock and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm just trying to follow what Jesus said. I'm going to make it better for you. Why are you typing millstones into Amazon right now? Well, I'm ordering something to help me deal with conflict better. But what Jesus is saying is this. Sin, the sins that are done against you, are deadly. I, I love this, actually, because not because I want to do this to people, but because Jesus is saying that the sin done against you, he takes very seriously. That the sin done against you is deadly. Sometimes we might think that the Bible's vision of forgiveness is kind of just a, ah, no big deal. Just live and let live. Just get over it. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says over and over and over again. The Bible says this, that the sins done against you are deadly. They're damaging. And some of you, you know this, right? Well, we probably all know this at different times in our life, but if people betray you, if people gossip about you, if people yell at you, if people are rude to you, if people disrespect you, if people, if people hurt, abuse you, I mean, sin is deadly. It's damaging. And Jesus doesn't say, listen, just forgive everybody. It's not a big deal. He says, woe to the one. Woe to the one. Offenses are going to happen. He's realistic. Offenses are going to happen, but nevertheless, woe to the one that they come through. They're deadly. They're damaging. Sin is not something that God just tells us to get over. It, God hates it. It poisons his vision of a beautiful kingdom community. And any sin that has been done against you, whether you live in that now or it's in your past, what, what we can see from this is God is saying, I see that. I see it. And I take it seriously. I see the hurt that it's caused you. I see the loss that it has caused you. I see the pain that it has created. I, I see the way that it has crumbled the beauty of relationship that you hoped for. And he says, it's, it's deadly. So forgiveness is difficult because it's, it actually, it's, it's a deadly thing when we're sinned against. It's a painful thing. It has big consequences and hurts us. Third, he says that forgiveness is difficult because it doesn't come from strangers. If your brother sins. See, Jesus teaches at different times on loving your enemies, right? But that's not what this passage is about. He's talking about things that happen from those that are close to you. I, I was, um, my, my wife was driving with our kids. This was, um, I don't know, maybe a couple years back. And I, I don't know exactly what happened, uh, but maybe she might have allegedly cut him off a little bit, this guy on a motorcycle. And he, he got very upset, 
pulled right up to our car and smashed the, the mirror and then drove off. I know, people on motorcycles, right? Um, so the, that's why I drive a scooter, because um, I'm more of, you know, it's a, it's a kinder version. Um, and that, that's bad, right? Like some, a stranger does something like that. You're like, wow, I can't believe that you would do something like that. But you get over it. You're not just like, man, I need to find that person. We need to have some reconciliation. But if my wife was getting ready in the morning and, and I walked into the bathroom and just smashed the mirror in front of her and then said, yeah, and w- like that would be a little more serious, right? She would, and then I got off on my scooter and drove, you know, just for effect. I don't know if it would have the same effect as a loud motorcycle, just beep, 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 beep. But if I did that to her, that would have a much greater effect, right? And that's what Jesus says here. Forgiveness is difficult because if your brother sins against you. Listen, you, you know this. The, the greatest hurts in your life have probably come under the roof of your own house. Whether that's when you were a kid or now as an adult, the greatest hurts in our life come from those closest to us. Yes, strangers can hurt us but we can put it in a category and say they were just a weird motorcyclist with a temper. But when it's your brother, when it's your wife, when it's your husband, when it's your father, when it's your mother, when it's your kids, when it's your friends, when it's your roommates, when it's, when it's the people that are close to you, that makes it so much harder. Jesus says forgiveness is going to be difficult because if your brother sins against you, You feel the pain of that even more so. And then a final reason of why forgiveness is difficult is because it's not just the big things. Sometimes we think, man, if somebody did something awful to me, I could muster up all the forgiveness I have and be able, as a Christian, to say, okay, I saw um, even this week in the news, I think there was a shooting in San Francisco, and the, the parents said, we forgive, and we hope that in our best moments, using all the Christian resources that we have, that we will be able to, in some kind of big moment, to say, okay, I forgive. And in some ways, that might be more difficult, but in other ways, what's more challenging is actually the daily things that keep happening over and over and over and over and over and over again. Which is why Jesus says, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day. Like that seems like a lot. Seven times in a day? Seven times in a day. Like I don't know if you're keeping track, but if you, that's a lot of sins. That somebody that is close to you, this is, this is giving us a pattern of sin, right? This is what is often hardest in relationships. This is when I sit down with couples or or sometimes even with families, and hear things like this. Oh, you always do this. That's seven times in a day. You always do this, or you never do this. That's saying there's a pattern that's happening. There's a daily thing that you are doing against me. Or sometimes parents say to their kids, how many times have I told you? And the kid could respond, well, it's been six times, so I still have one more at least you know, to go today. And then tomorrow the clock resets. But that, that idea is, how many times have I told you, all, you always do this, you never do this. Or sometimes we might say, I'm so tired of them doing this, whatever it is. 
All of those kinds of things get at this. Part of what makes forgiveness so difficult is that it's a daily thing that often we're talking about. It's patterns that we're talking about. It's not just the big events. It's living in the patterns that just keep going, that just keep poking at us, that just keep happening. That makes it very challenging. Now, why is forgiveness difficult? Here's why. Because of all those things that Jesus just said. It's easy to know that we should forgive. And if you're a Christian, I doubt that you walked in here today saying, oh, a teaching on forgiveness. I've never thought about that. I've never thought if I should do that or not do that. This is going to be very interesting. This is going to be very controversial. What, what are we going to learn? Should we forgive? Should we not? So I, I know, and even when I was kind of thinking about this as I was preparing for this sermon, I consider myself to be a very forgiving person. And, and yet, as all of the weight of what Jesus is saying, it's easy to go, you know what? This is actually harder. This is actually harder than just quickly checking it off the Christian checklist to say there's a daily pattern from the people close to me. Stuff that's actually going to hurt me really bad. Stuff that I can't avoid that's going to happen all the time. And if we quickly move by just, oh yeah, I'm forgiving, then what happens is our forgiveness is actually pretty shallow. And our forgiveness maybe won't really happen. We might be able to check the box without actually being a forgiving person and living with forgiveness as a holistic mentality. And so then we actually live with bitterness and irritability and all those things thinking, oh, I'm, I'm forgiving. I think that's part of why Jesus begins the text and has throughout ways where he's saying, this is hard. Like to actually step into it, I think we have to understand the pain of it first. Say, this is not going to be easy. This is hard. And if I think it's easy, I might not actually be forgiving. If I think it's easy, I might have a category of forgiveness that isn't what Jesus is talking about. So this is why it's difficult. What does it actually look like? What does forgiveness look like? What is the practice of forgiveness in our life? And Jesus gives us kind of three different things that help us understand what it looks like when sin happens against us, how we live with a forgiving spirit. And there's two things that happen even before the actual interaction of forgiveness. And, and here's the first thing that Jesus says as he, he teaches about the millstone, and then he's going to say, if your brother sins, forgive him, and if he sins against you, forgive him. But he starts that whole section with saying, be on your guard. And I think that is really important. That might be an easy kind of throwaway line that we read about the millstone, then we read about forgiveness, but be on your guard is right in the middle. Be on your guard. And Jesus talks about this a lot even in other places when he talks about uh, the log in our eye and, and, and uh, you know, getting the log out of your brother's eye, of those things, if you've, the speck and the log and all those things. If you've heard about that, we talked about that maybe a year ago in, in Luke. Um, but it, it's similar idea, which is this. When you are engaging in conflict or when you are beginning a process of forgiveness, in conflict, so often our focus is on the other person, right? When you think about, even when I asked you maybe in the beginning, think about your most recent conflict, it was probably easiest to think about what someone did to you, what someone said to you how someone treated you. 
in our conflict, it is so easy for us to think about them. I don't know, and maybe there's some incident, but I don't know if I've ever done a marriage counseling session or even just talked with someone about their problems, and they began with, I've got this conflict with someone. Here's what I keep doing. I keep doing this. I would be like, whoa, have you been reading your Bible? This is crazy. I don't think that's ever happened. It usually starts with, here's what this person does. It's easy for us to maximize what someone else does and to minimize what we do. And that's part of why Jesus begins with saying, be on your guard. I'm going to talk to you about forgiveness. I'm going to talk to you about rebuke. I'm going to talk to you about conflict. But before we even get started, be on your guard. Watch yourself. This is so important. Jesus doesn't specify all the different ways. Like I said, there's other places in the Bible and other teaching that Jesus has even in Luke where he gives us some of those specific ways, some of the stuff that we talked about. One of them was uh, being judgmental, which is where we assume the worst in people. We color things. You get that text message and you go, I can't believe that they would say that. But you're reading a bunch of tone into it. That's why emojis were invented. There was like some people that were trying to help people not be judgmental. And they were like, we need to put emojis so everyone knows that when you said, I can't be there, you didn't mean, I can't be there, or I can't be there. Oh, okay, let's add a bunch of smiley faces and tear faces and happy faces and birthday celebration explosions and everything so that no one knows, so that everyone knows, I'm really not trying to be mean. Maybe that hits too close to home. But we, we get emails, we get texts, and we assume the worst. Jesus says, ah, be on guard. You can be judgmental. We're in conflict and we see everything someone else is doing and Jesus says, ah, be on your guard. Get the speck, get the log out of your eye before trying to get the speck out of somebody else's. Look at your problems first. See your problems as a giant beam before you see someone else's problems. So Jesus doesn't give us specific ways right here, but he does in other places. But what he says is this, before you even engage in any sort of forgiveness or rebuke or anything like that, where it should start is yourself. Listen, what if we did that? You know how much conflict would change if we actually began with ourselves? You know how much conflict would change if we said, before I even start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess to God my stuff. Before we even start, I'm going to resist the feelings of judgmentalism that I have or, or my assumptions. Before we even start, I'm going to resist that. Before we even start, I'm going to try to think of positive ways I can fill in the gaps instead of negative ways. Before we even start this conflict, I'm going to come to God and, and just try to remind myself of, of his grace for that person. So many of our conflicts, if we started like that, wouldn't even actually happen. It's where the Bible tells us to overlook an offense that is done against us. I'm not saying that we do that with every single thing, but if we started here, so many things would, would be dead on arrival. They would be dead before they even began. Jesus says, here's what the beginning of forgiveness looks like. It's to guard yourself, to watch yourself, to have a forgiving spirit from the very beginning, before it even starts. And then second... He tells us this. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, which is to go to him and correct him. It's to go to them and say, here's what you have done that is wrong. But this is why the previous step is so important. 
This is why the previous step of watching ourselves and guarding ourselves is so important because if not, then we screw that up really bad. If we don't start with guarding ourselves, then we either rebuke people for things they haven't even done because we're judgmental, or we rebuke people with an attitude and with a spirit that is actually because we're trying to get something from them. We're trying to show them they're wrong. We're trying to get justice in some way. Instead, what the Bible teaches about, about rebuke is that we are to do it in a way to win our brother, Jesus says elsewhere. We're to do it actually for them. We're to do it not because we're trying to get something for us. We're to do it not because we're trying to point out how they've been wrong, but we're to do it because we actually love them and we see something in them that we don't want to be there because it's damaging to them. That's the whole log and speck thing. If there's a speck in someone's eye, you're not trying to go to them and say, or excuse me, if there's a, yeah, a speck in someone's eye, you're not trying to go to them and say, there's a speck in your eye. How dare there be a speck in your eye? Do you know what that speck is doing to everybody? You're trying to go to them and say, okay, there's something in your eye. Let me help you get that out because I love you and I don't want it to affect you. This is why that first step of guard yourself is so important before we enter into any kind of conflict. The whole context of rebuke them if they sin is about forgiveness. So it's to say, I want something for them, not something from them. That's a great question to ask before you rebuke anybody. And just, again, don't think of rebuke as such a technical thing. Think about rebuke as correcting someone, saying, hey, do you know that you did this? Do you know that there was an offense here? Do you know there was a sin here? That happens probably seven times in a day where people are living in those patterns. Here's the question to ask before you do that. Is the reason I'm doing this because I want their joy? Or am I doing it because I'm trying to show them how wrong they are? Is the reason I'm doing this because I actually want them to live out and experience God's kingdom vision for their life? Or because I'm just mad at what they're doing? I'm annoyed by what they're doing. Parents, if we ask that before we correct our kids, that would change a lot of stuff. Husbands and wives, if we ask that before we correct and get mad at our spouses, that would change a lot of stuff. If we say, is the reason that I'm doing this actually because I want them to experience God's joy for their life? and I know that this sin is hurting them? Or is it because I just want some justice? I want them to see what they did to me. You see how much different it is if we start with guard yourself? We have a responsibility to rebuke. But the reason is to do it for the relationship, to fight for the relationship, not to just police people. Uh, this is from Ray Ortland, and I, I love this kind of... Uh, um, Ray Ortland is a, a pastor, scholar, and he gives this little phrase that I've always found really helpful of how we should rebuke others. And he says this, if a problem must be addressed, let's avoid blanket statements, but identify factual specifics, offer a positive path forward, and preserve everyone's dignity. You are blank, you are lazy, you are uncaring, you are uh, a jerk, you are uncompassionate, you are, it's too sweeping to be fair. It just calls someone a thing instead of a moment. It leaves a person no freedom to change. If you go to someone and say, you are lazy, there's not, they can't just say, now I'm not. There's, they can't change. It's better to say, in this situation, when you blank, that was wrong. 
it would be helpful if in the future you would blank. What do you think? That opens it up to maybe I'm wrong and maybe I saw this wrong. And how are you processing that? And is there anything I can do that might help? Man, if our rebukes look like that, I can promise you that it wouldn't be such an awful thing. It would actually lead our relationships to greater health and greater depth. If we spoke like that to one another, whether that's in a community group or in a marriage or with kids or however, if we spoke like this, wouldn't that be better? So the practice of forgiveness looks like watching ourselves, and then a rebuke done in the right way. And then finally, the actual offering of forgiveness. Jesus says two different times, if he repents, forgive him. And even if he comes to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And oftentimes we don't actually forgive. Oftentimes someone sins against us and we say, it's okay. Someone says, I'm sorry. And we say, it's okay. And that's kind of the the full extent of it. But it's actually not okay. It's actually a millstone should be hung around someone's neck and they should be drowned. So it's actually not okay if someone has sinned against you. It's okay. I want to drown you, but it's okay. No, it's not. It's deadly. It's dangerous. It's from someone close to you. All those things, right? And so actually what it should look like is to say someone should, and we're not talking about all the sides of it, but someone should ask for forgiveness, and then we should say to them, I forgive you. We should actually use the words, I forgive you. The word forgive actually is a word that means to leave. And it can be used of leaving people, places, things. Sometimes it's just used for traveling to say they left this place and it's the same word for forgive. So to say I forgive is to actually say I'm leaving that there. I'm leaving the millstone there. I'm leaving the judgment there. I'm leaving the brokenness there. I'm leaving the offense there. I'm leaving my hurt there. I'm leaving it. That's what it actually means to forgive. To forgive means that we leave it. Not to just say it's not a big deal. Listen, you know it's forgiveness genuinely when you're willing to reconnect with that person. My wife and I, will, we teach couples this in, in marriage class and and try to practice this in our own life, but we've said, like, it's, it's not really forgiveness if there's not a kiss. Because if, if my wife says to me, will you forgive me? And I say, yes, I forgive you. That doesn't really seem like forgiveness, even though a lot of times that is what our posture is. Real forgiveness is, I'm, I'm going to give you a kiss. I'm talking about marriages right now. That's not true with all your friendships, okay? If you go to your boss and you're like, listen, I forgive you, and you come, you're like, my pastor said, you know, You'll get fired, and I will get blamed. Um, that's not what I mean. And then we'll have, you'll have to get, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to say those things. Okay. This is on video. Um, but real forgiveness, real forgiveness is offering that connection. Now, listen, Jesus does say this. He says, if they repent, forgive them. Because there is an aspect of forgiveness. There's kind of a heart forgiveness that we can give to people. But there is a restorative forgiveness where we actually re-enter a relationship that can't really happen unless that person repents. So we can have a disposition in our heart where we forgive someone and we leave something. But we can't normally enter back into relationship with someone 
in a reconciled way, a full fruit of forgiveness, unless they also repent. So Jesus does add that qualifier there. But genuine forgiveness is to leave something. And I love the way Ken Sandy, he's an author uh, of a book called Peacemaker, which is great. And, And he says this about the four promises of forgiveness. I will not dwell on this incident. So that's, again, leaving it there. I'm not going to keep thinking about this and what you've done to me. When you say, I forgive, this is what you're saying. I'm not going to keep thinking about this. I'm not going to bring this up and use it against you. So we can't say, I forgive you, but then really, we haven't left this. This is still our ammo when we need it. To say, oh yeah, but you did this. I thought you forgave me. Eh, no. I still have that back here. Oh, okay. I will not talk to others about this. We don't say, I forgive you, and then say, I forgive you, and I can't wait to tell other people about how much I forgave you for all the things that you've done. And I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our relationship. That's the kiss part. Forgiveness is to say, I'm I'm now leaving that, so we're back to good. We're back to good. We're back to a place of unity. We're back to a place of relationship. So the practice of forgiveness looks like beginning with guarding ourselves, then to rebuke in a right way, and then to actually, in a moment, offer the forgiveness. And if we do it like this, oftentimes we will do it healthy in a moment. We'll also just overlook things that are done against us all the time because this is a forgiving spirit that permeates everything. Listen, if we try to escape sin and just say, I don't want this in my relationships, I don't want this affecting anything, it it won't work. And so Jesus's vision for kingdom community is not just removing sin. It is to say, how can we deal with it? How can we have greater peace when it does happen? How can we cultivate this practice so our relationships are actually healthier, even though offenses will certainly come? This is what the practice of forgiveness looks like. And then finally is how can we forgive like this? How can we do this? What is the power to actually be able to do this? Because if you are hearing rightly, if we are listening to Jesus rightly, this is not easy. This is hard. As you think about this, what's difficult for you? Is it the people close to you that makes this hard? Is it the daily patterns that make it hard? Is it the the restoring of relations? Like there's probably things that make it so it's hard for us. And the disciples knew that, which is why right when he teaches this, they say, increase our faith. Jesus gives them this teaching about forgiveness and rebuke, and they say, whoa, okay, to do that, we're going to need some faith. Whatever faith we have, Jesus, we need you to increase it. It's not enough. Because it is difficult. But what Jesus actually says in response to them is, you don't actually need more faith. There's not some, it's not like you have faith and now you need some extra faith to be able to do this. What he is saying by, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, is to say, this is actually the core of what faith is. So if you have faith, This is what it is. If you have faith in its essence of what faith actually is, then you already do have the power to do this. If you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, God can do surprising and miraculous and amazing things that we don't expect, like taking trees and 
putting them into the sea. God can uproot conflict. God can uproot broken relationships. God can uproot all sorts of things and, and surprisingly change them with just a little bit of faith. Which, what that means is this. We hear Jesus' teaching and we might say, that sounds really hard. I need some extra power to be able to do that. I need some extra help. And Jesus is saying, what you need is faith. You need just the core, the essence of what faith is. And he's going to give us a little parable that helps us understand that. And then Luke is going to give us a little story that's going to help us understand that a little bit more. So I want to give you both of those things of how we forgive like this. The answer is faith, but Luke is going to show us that that faith, or Jesus is going to show us that that faith is really understanding who we are and who God is. So the next part of this section says this. Jesus tells a little story to them. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat? Get ready and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servants because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, and think about the, the commands that Jesus just gave us about forgiveness and rebuke. And when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. This is really about our identity. Jesus is saying this. It's easy for us to be self-righteous, to forget who we are, to think that we are the master in the story. I know that parable is very distant from kind of us of like, if you have sheep and your servant comes in, but Jesus is simply saying that we need to know who we are. And if we think that we are the master, if we think that we're the one in charge, if we think that we are the one that is in this high position, then what that means is all the sin that happens and all forgiveness that happens, we view it through a lens of ourself. So we view sin as primarily something done against me, not necessarily done against God, who's the true master. We view it as done against me. How dare you do this to me? And we even view forgiveness as something that comes from us. We, we view like, I'm the bigger person, therefore I will forgive you, little person. We view forgiveness as something that's for our health even sometimes we'll talk about. Really, forgiveness is for me and for my peace. We view it all kind of through ourselves as the master instead of understanding faith is knowing who we are and who God is. And Jesus says, faith is this. You understand you're an unworthy servant. And that isn't to say you're some scum. It's just to know rightly our place. To say, Jesus is the master. I'm someone that benefits from him. I'm someone that receives from him. If we want the power to be able to forgive in a way that's constant, in a way that's towards those close to us, we have to know rightly who we are and who God is. We have to get the identity right. And this last part I want to show you is because that can feel a little abstract, Luke then moves from that parable and puts a story of Jesus' interaction with someone right there. And you'll see that even in this story, there's the language of master, and, and then there's Jesus commending that person for their faith, which links to this whole teaching to say, this is what it looks like. So this is the last thing I want to show you. While traveling to Jerusalem, about Jesus, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. There's that master. 
When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Really, Luke gives us this story to illustrate everything that he's just been talking about. If we want to forgive, we need faith. Faith is an identity where we know who we are and who God is. And Luke gives this example to say, it's like this. Here's a, here's a place where this actually happened between Jesus and somebody. Faith is, un, is our identity, understanding who we are like the leper. The leper was someone that was outcast from the community because of their disease. They were sick. And Jesus cleanses them. They were separate and dirty and in great need. And when we understand ourselves like that, when we understand I'm an unworthy servant, I'm actually spiritually like a leper. I am someone that is actually should be separated from God's community, separated from God's family. I'm someone that because of my sin is unclean. When we understand ourselves, listen also, is all the different things that we just said, when we understand ourselves as someone whose offense against God is worthy of death, a millstone tied around our neck, when we understand ourselves like a leper, as someone that has sinned against our brother, Jesus, someone close to us, when we understand ourselves as someone that repeatedly, daily, as a pattern, sins against God. When we understand ourselves like that, the more we see that, we have to be humble. The more we see that, we have to say, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm like the leper. And then not just how bad you see yourself, but the more you see what Jesus did. Faith understands who we are and faith rejoices in what Jesus has done. Just like Jesus heals the leper, he heals us of our sin. Just like Jesus cleans the leper, he cleanses us from our sin. We're not defined by it anymore. Just like Jesus restores the leper into community, he restores us into community. And when we see that, faith, this is what Jesus said we need to forgive, faith. Faith is seeing who we are rightly and rejoicing in what he has done for us and seeing just like the leper, he did it for me. Faith doesn't just receive his gifts, but it rejoices in them. And listen, in the moments where it's hard for you to forgive, in the moments when you're in conflict, in the moments when it's hard, in the moments when there's patterns, in the moments when you are always, never, I'm tired, how many times, in those moments, if we remind ourselves, you know who I am? I'm someone that was like that leper. And you know who Jesus is? You've forgiven me. Jesus, I, how many times have you told me? How many times have I sinned against you? How many times? And yet you forgive me, love me, are gracious to me. The more we see that, the more we have a power to then forgive others because the distance between what others have done to us and what, and, and what we have done to God is huge. We do these little offenses against each other on the cosmic scale of things. But what we have done to God is way bigger. And Jesus forgives us. We want great relationships. You and I, we want Jesus' kingdom 
vision for our lives. That's what we want. And yet it's hard. It's difficult. And the only way to do that is to know how to forgive. The only way isn't just to say, let's work really hard at developing community, but it's to say, what do we do when it doesn't work? What do we do when we mess it up? What do we do after all the teaching and all the, the ways and we still get it wrong? And Jesus says, here, forgiveness. A forgiveness that pervades everything and affects everything and brings deeper joy and deeper peace. When we take communion, which is what we're going to do in just a moment, if you didn't get a little cup, you can grab them at the entrance there. When we take communion, this is what we're remembering. We're remembering Jesus' body broken for us. We're remembering his blood shed for us. We're remembering that the wages of sin is death, a millstone being tied around the neck and drowned. And Jesus said, I'll do that for you instead. Your sin that you've done against me, I'll pay for it instead. Even though I'm your brother and you sin against me, even though I'm your father and you sin against me, I'll do that for you instead. Sin is deadly, but I'll pay the cost. I'll pay the cost for you. And the more that we experience that, the more that we taste that, that's what faith is. We're able to then forgive others. We're able to forgive. We're able to be gracious. We're able to release our self-righteousness. And we're able to have a kingdom community. Wouldn't it be better to grow in this? Let's pray. And as you pray, I want to just give you a couple things to pray about. I want you to thank God for his forgiveness of you and rejoice in it. And then I want you to confess if you feel like there's areas where you have not been forgiving or you have not lived with a forgiving spirit as Jesus defines it here. I think probably that's true of most of us. I know, I know it's true of me that as reading the scriptures this week about this, that felt convicted. I want, I want to be more forgiving like that. And so confess that to him. And, and if there's somebody even specific that you haven't forgiven, try to, as you pray, ask Jesus to help you just leave that there today. And then maybe today you need to actually talk to that person and tell them, I forgive you. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are forgiving to us, that the way that you treat us, the way that you deal with us is the same and even better than what you have commanded us. You forgive us seven times a day and more. You deal with the deadliness of our sin in the, in the most beautiful way on the cross. You forgive us over and over and over again. You are the gracious, loving King. And so God, help us to be a forgiving people. Help us to give this in all of our relationships. We pray this in your name, Jesus.